Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey folks, it's Eddie Trunk, and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, podcast1.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking it out. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to connect with me on social media, at Eddie Trunk. And if you are in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to listen to me each and every day doing my daily rock talk show and interview show, Trunk Nation, heard on volume, Sirius XM Channel 106, live daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. You're only getting a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis on Sirius XM. The interviews you hear on this podcast originated on that show. Real quick open tonight, because uh, or today, whenever you're listening, because we have... Two guests this week. They're both drummers, so I thought I'd put them together. Coming up a little bit later on, Simon Wright, who plays drums in Dio and the Dio Disciples now and was Ronnie's drummer for many, many years. Simon also played in UFO. Simon also did about five years as a drummer in ACDC, including a couple studio records. We talked to him about that as well. That's coming up as the second interview this week. Up first, drummer Tommy Clufettos. Tommy most recently played with Black Sabbath, played with Ozzy Osbourne and Rob Zombie and Ted Nugent. He talks about all of that, and he currently has just joined the Dead Daisies. lot to cover with Tommy. Simon, I've known forever. Tommy uh, did not know until the conversation you're about to hear. Both are great conversations with two accomplished drummers with long resumes, Tommy Clufettos to start, Simon Wright second. Enjoy it as we get into the backbeat of some of our favorite bands with two drummers on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. We'll get to Tommy next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Hey folks, are you paying out of your own pocket for gear you need to do your job? All kinds of departments across the nation, all those good folks, police, fire, EMS, medical workers on the front lines, even military units. Uh, You deal with constrained budgets, outdated gear, but there's still a job to do and you need the right gear to do it. Hunting for military first responder discounts has historically required going from one website to another creating multiple account logins just to make purchases and jumping through various hoops to verify your service. Don't you wish there was just one, one place where you could visit that had a carefully crafted selection of deals for military first responders in one spot? Well, folks, we got that answer for you because it is the place to go. And that place is no doubt about it. What I'm about to tell you about, and that is GovX.com. GovX works directly with brands to negotiate the best price possible because you deserve the gear you need at the prices you've earned. Plus, you can trust that the gear you're ordering is 100% authentic direct from the manufacturers. Big general retailers, they don't care about you and your sacrifices as long as you're clicking on the add to the cart button. Not GovX. Got a huge collection of gear and apparel from popular brands all in one convenient location. GovX honors your service and gives back to your communities. So if you're an American of service, a current or former member of the military, firefighters, frontline medical or law enforcement communities, or the emergency medical communities, join GovX for free. And enjoy a community that honors and gives back to patriots like you. And if you got a military or a first responder background, you visit GovX.com. You sign up for free for instant access to tons of deals and a community that honors your service. And check this out. Use the promo code TRUNK15, T-R-U-N-K-15. You get $15 off your first order of $50 or more. That's an amazing deal. Just use my code TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K, 15, govx.com, G-O-V-X.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Okay, as promised, Simon Wright from DO, ACDC, UFO, and more a little bit later on, but first... Here he is, drummer Tommy Clufettos, talking about his entire history playing drums, how he started, which is really interesting, and his work with Rob Zombie, his work with Nugent, Black Sabbath, and Ozzy. Enjoy Tommy Clufettos on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Tommy, thanks for the time. How are you? I'm good. I'm excellent, but getting better. Trunk, how are you doing over there? <laughs> I'm doing okay, man. Uh, I don't think we've ever had the chance to talk. We, we must have met somewhere over the years, I'm sure. I, I'm sure we've shook hands once or twice, but that's about <laughs> it. It's a pleasure to be here. We have never spoken, so I look forward to it. Yeah, well, well thanks. thanks. So don't I guess ruin it for me, Eddie. Don't ruin the dream. <laughs> Well, you know, if 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 after playing with Ozzy and Sabbath, if this is the dream, Tommy, you got you've set the bar really low, pal. <laughs> I am a lucky guy in all avenues of my life so far. So, it's awesome. It's awesome to be here. It's awesome to still be surviving this mess that we're in. So, 
here we are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess, you know, uh, let, let's start with the current. And that is what I just mentioned, which is you coming into the Dead Daisies, which I was not aware until just recently. You actually played with briefly at one point in the past, right? Yeah, I believe it was maybe, I think it was 2015, if my memory serves me correctly. I filled in maybe four weeks in Europe with the guys. They were opening for Kiss, and they called me last minute, and I said, sure, why not? I'm not doing anything else. Let's go rock. And it was kind of the same scenario here. They called me. They want to rock, and I'm ready to do it. So I look forward to it. Now, you, you're you coming back into that fold too late to have played on the latest record, but I'm sure you've heard uh, Holy Ground? Yeah, I mean, I've learned the whole album. Um, literally, I was just playing to some tracks 20 minutes ago. So, yeah, the, the album's great. Um, Glenn Hughes sings his ass off, and he plays his ass off, as does Doug and David. So it's going to be a monster band, I guarantee that. Yeah, you know, that band has always been, uh, if we're being honest, a revolving door. I mean, there's been a ton of people in and out of it over the years. But this record blew me away. And, I mean, I've known Glenn forever, and Glenn and Doug have been friends forever. And, and I love both of their work. But this, when you plug Glenn Hughes into something as a singer and player, it, it becomes a totally different thing. And this is a totally different thing. I mean, it, it's monster heavy, and there's some great riffs to it. And I, I, you know, all respect to Dean, who's brilliant as well. But we all talked last week on the show about how we can't wait to hear your drums driving this thing because they've made a really heavy, uh, big riff record. It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I think it's really going to be great. And, you know, when you, speaking of Glenn, I think when, when guys are, you know, of that era, they're cut from a, a different cloth. And I just noticed something about guys of that age. It's from that golden age of rock and roll where there was really time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears put into it. So you can hear that in Glenn's playing and his voice. And not that guys from earlier, I think, you know, generation after generation, everybody's softened a little bit because there's not so much competition in rock and roll and, you know... <laughs> So I look forward to playing with that attitude is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and I think, well, I agree with you, and I, that attitude is just is just it. I was hanging with some friends in Vegas this past weekend, and we were going through all our old 70s live records that we love, and everybody around the table was saying the same thing. It's just not to sound like a bunch of old men that we, we were at this gathering, but we were all just like, sure. it, you just don't, you, people just don't do it like this anymore. You can hear everything. It's, you can feel it. It's live. It's buzzing. It's real. There's no electronics going on. It's just the real deal. And those guys, and look, you've been lucky enough to play with a lot of them. Uh, that that's a really, really cool thing. And Glenn as a bass player, uh, is is so overlooked because his voice is so powerful that I think the idea of that rhythm section of you and Glenn is going to be potent, man. I can't wait to hear it live. Either can I. I look forward to jamming with those guys. It's going to be, I just look forward to playing, let alone jamming with those guys. <laughs> You're in the same boat as a lot of people. Yeah. So, so Tommy, to get, to get your story a little bit, because I was telling my audience, I mean, Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, Sabbath, Ozzy, you've, you've had some incredible gigs. What was the first thing for you? You're, you're from Michigan. Uh, where, where did it start for you? Did you have a local band there? Well, my, my musical upbringing has been much different than most, let's say, hard rockers, especially California hard rockers. 
I'm from Detroit. I started playing. My dad is a musician, and I started very early playing in his band. Um, and let me just say this. My dad was and is the hardest person I've ever worked for in my life. So he pushed me to the brink of my ability at an early age. I started playing with him. We'd, you know, we'd play everywhere. And then he would do a lot of these I'm going to say oldies shows where you would back people from the 50s and 60s, and I would be a little kid, and you'd have to play with five. You probably know a lot of that stuff out out east. You know, they have a, a lot of that stuff is big. Um, you play five, six, seven acts on a show, and you know everybody plays 45 minutes and all this kind. And there's a backing band, and we would kind of be the backing band. So I learned how to read different artists and play different styles, and you know a lot of different things that just playing drums by yourself doesn't give you or playing with your buddies in a garage doesn't give you. And those lessons have rung out today. So when I play with different musicians, I know what to look for. I know how to, how to feel what they're going for, or read their body language or talk to different people. So that's how I really started from well, there. Let me stop you. Let me jump in. Let me jump in real quick there and stop you sure. because I'm curious two things. First of all, what kind of a musician is your dad? What does he play? And when you said really young, how old were you? He, my dad is. He plays saxophone and he sang. I mean, he okay. was a front person, but he would be the band leader in those situations. And I okay. started with him when I was twelve years old. Wow! And what what were they playing? Was it like fifty stuff? Was it jazz? What were you playing? No, it was like fifties, sixties rock and roll, and you'd literally be backing. The Shirelles, Lou Christie, um, Freddie Can't. Your listeners aren't, they're probably too young for this kind of stuff. I mean, every, you put on an oldie station, put it this way, I still listen to Channel 5 and Channel 6 on Sirius. You can drive with me for three hours in the car, and I will literally know every song that comes on before it starts. It's like stump the band. I know it in two notes, you know. And you're doing, you're doing the, it, you're I'm, doing this at 12, Tommy? Yeah. I don't like to talk about the young years, but the, the point being I got an early start for a high level of experience. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. So needless to say, you said your dad was hard to work for, but it also sounds like being that young and having you out doing that, he was very supportive of you wanting to be in music. He's my biggest supporter still to this day, and I'm very lucky to have that. With the tough love came the love. You know, and it, and it, I mean, when you've got somebody there rooting for you and pushing you and guiding you, it's a great tool. And honestly, everything leads up to now. And, and here I am, Doc Maddie Trunk. So what was the first rock thing, first like all-out hard rock thing? Did you have a local first, band later on? From that, I started playing with another group on my own called Little Anthony and the Imperials who are inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a sure. uh, singing group. They were tremendous. I did that when I was, that was my first gig on my own when I was 14. From that, wow. I, I started playing with a Detroit act from Detroit. They were the first Detroit rock act called Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Of course, They had yeah. a tune, Jenny Take a Ride and Devil with a Blue Dress. I did that just out of high school for a few years. And then I started playing you know, people probably wouldn't have ever seen me on that. My first gig out of that was Ted Nugent. 
Now, did you know Nugent because he was – was he local at the time? I mean, obviously you know I who did. Nugent is, but you how know, he, did the connection happen? The, the connection was I did a gig in Alto – actually a gig in my father's band. There's an interesting story. I played a private party, and Alto Reed, the sax player who just unfortunately passed away of Bob Seger's band, right. saw me play at the party, and he called me to do some jobs with him. And out of the blue, he said, I need you in the studio. We're going to do a song with Ted Nugent. And that was it. I'd, we were recording for a movie soundtrack, a couple songs or something like that, and a ding went off in my head, and I go, this is it. This is my one little shot to go to the next scene. So I got a um, you know, one-day audition to go play with Ted Nugent in the studio, and after that he called me to be in his band. And you played on Crave Man, uh, came did, out in 2002, yeah. and you're also on Love Grenade, I know, and I definitely saw you play with Nugent and 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 know those records and remember that time. And I know Ted. What was your experience like with Ted uh, playing with him and, and, and playing live with him as well? Ted was awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Very supportive. I mean, he he's one of those guys. Being from the same town, you kind of have the same influences. So, I mean, first of all, growing up in Detroit is way different than California. Just the music is different. The way I think about music is different. It's a different, it's a different tactic. It's more about driving and propulsion and momentum and energy. And that's how I was and hopefully still is as, as a 20-year-more-older man now. It's about energy. You know, it's all about taking black music and making it faster and still trying to have that same vibe. So Little Richard and Chuck Berry and all those artists, Detroit took that, and that's what they were inspired by. And I was inspired by those things, and, and Ted saw that in my playing. And we got along great. He was, he was absolutely awesome. Yeah, and Ted, I mean, Ted's been on with me many, many times, and when he comes on with me, all we do is talk about music, and and he always references that stuff. He's really a historian of that stuff. He loves that, and yeah. he'll be the first to tell you that that's what he's channeling as well. And I, and I got to tell you, I mean, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but taking all of the other Ted stuff out of it, wherever you land on all his other stuff, Strictly from a music standpoint, I think Ted is tremendously underrated as a musician, as a guitar player, as a, as a historian of the music, and as a guy that even at his age, you talk about energy, the way he still brings it, it's incredible. I, I think Ted is, is greatly overlooked, and, and I think a lot of it, unfortunately, is because of you know his views on other fronts. Do you agree with that? I, I totally agree. Ted's guitar playing, I mean... It's unbelievable. His right hand and his rhythm, his rhythm that he plays, he has an undeniable style that nobody else could copy. I mean, when he plays, you know, you hear somebody else play Cat Scratch or they do it in a concert and it just sounds like a child, you know. But when he does it, it's like an orchestra playing it. And those guys, they knew how to craft a style. They took those influences and then they made them, them their own versus trying to be, oh, you know, I'm really into Zeppelin. You know, everybody's into Zeppelin and everybody's into Sabbath. And they just kind of listen to those one 
aspect of the music and they're missing all the influences where Zeppelin got it from. They're missing the influences where Sabbath got it from. So, you know, basically those guys knew the blues and that's what makes them so great. They, they have that underlying blues thing in their rock music. Yeah, but yeah, that no. was awesome. He's still great. He was great to me. I have nothing but great things to say about him. As with everybody I've worked for, I've been so lucky to play with great musicians and great, I'm going to say bosses, but I, you know, that's kind of a cheesy word. I've been so lucky that way. You know, I've figured out you can try and try for this, but, you know, musically, business-wise speaking, but you're going to end up where you're supposed to end up. I'm going to end up where I'm supposed to end up, and, you know, I don't really network. I don't schmooze, if you want to say that. I schmooze on the stage. I schmooze when I play my drums, and I try to keep it very simple, just play my guts out, and that usually leads me where I'm supposed to go, and I've been very lucky that way. You mentioned earlier starting at such a young age and being out with your dad at, at as early as 12 years old. Did, were, are you self-taught, Tommy, or did you take lessons even earlier than that? How did you? How did it become drums as your thing? It just kind of happened. I was banging on things as an early age, and I just had a knack for it. And, of course, my dad saw that, and, I mean, it just, it just works for me. I, it just works. When I sit behind the drums, I'm 110% confident when I get up there and I always was as a little kid, you know, I can't really do anything else. So it's just what I'm supposed to do. That being said, there's hundreds of millions of hours that I've put into it and I don't stop putting into it because it's an endless, it's an endless journey that I'm on to be the best that I can be. Um, as you get older, as you get older, do you feel any aches and pains from it? I talked to so many drummers, and certainly you're not old by any stretch, But and there's guys doing it way older than you. But you know as well as I do that some of these guys start to have ailments and break down and they can't hit like they once did and, and, and what have you, arthritis, joints, surgeries. Have you had any of that? You had any issues with that? <laughs> I have not had any of that, luckily. I mean, <laughs> maybe talk to me in 10 or 20 years. I don't want to say anything that I know why I have no secret why nothing's happened to me other than I'm very concerned about all aspects of my life leading to be the best that I can be on my drums. So I take care of myself. I lead a healthy, healthy lifestyle. And a lot of that has to do with trying to have longevity when it comes to playing the drums. So I stretch, I exercise, I stay in shape. I always keep my drumming up the best that I can. You know, it's like, it's very easy to get lazy, you know. Right. Oh, I've done this, I've done that. I'm, you know, times like this, you know, when you've had a year off, it's hard to keep your head full. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in. I'm going to go in and get in another day. Every day, every day when there's nothing on the horizon can be a feat. But it's times like these that separate the men from the boys. How'd you end up getting tied in with another guy originally from the Detroit area in, in Michigan, uh, Alice Cooper? How did you end up getting tied in with Alice? You did Dirty Diamonds with Alice in 05. Yeah, literally everything I've done has been connected to the next thing. It's always connected. So when I was playing with Ted, we toured maybe two or three weeks one time with Alice Cooper, and <clears throat> they needed a drummer, and they saw me, and 
that's how that happened. And I imagine that was, I mean, again, all these guys I know, and they've been on the show countless times. Alice is one of the great gentlemen and class acts that I've ever had the chance to meet. I imagine being in a band with him, as many have been, uh, would be the same experience, uh, great to play with and work yeah, for. Alice was great. Alice was great. He's a very professional organization. Still to this day, he works his ass off. He knows how to put a show together. Amazing. Um and one thing I, I did hear the did you hear that new Alice Cooper tune he put out? Yeah, the, the, stuff. The, I just heard that with the um, the original guys. I thought it was awesome, his best tune in a while that I've heard because it had that Detroit edge to it. Kick ass stuff, I thought. Yeah, um, and, and that's Alice the whole great, theme. Man, that's the great, theme of the I, record, I actually, Tommy. The, the theme of the record is it's called Detroit Stories, so it's it's about right. That I've vibe. heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I that, I heard another cut. Well, he actually covered a tune from the guy Mitch Ryder I used to play with called uh, Rock and Roll, which was a Velvet Underground song first, but he he kind of did the Mitch Ryder version. Um, and all those guys I knew from Detroit and stuff, Johnny B was his drummer who, who used to play with Mitch Ryder, who I played with. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, there's that Detroit connection, even though the Alice thing wasn't a Detroit band, but it has that the influences under there that I was brought up in, so... I was kind of meant to go there. You know, I remember my dad taking me when I was a kid around 13 to go see Alice. And I go, man, I'm, I'm going to play in that band one day. I just had a feeling and then it happened. And all the guys and, and women now that have been in Alice's band in, in the last 20, 25 years, uh, I talked to all, just about all of them. And they all say the same thing about playing with Alice that it's so much fun to play that set and to play those songs that it's just it's just fun stuff to play. I, I imagine you felt the same way. Yeah, I mean, all these guys have tunes, man. That's why they're still here. It comes yeah. down to musicianship, of course, but on top of that, you got to have songs, and he yep. has songs that are undeniable. I'm talking with drummer Tommy Clufetos right now about his career and – a lot of people, myself included, saw Tommy play quite a few gigs with Rob Zombie, kind of like the, by his own admission, Rob would <laughs> very proudly be like the uh, bastard stepchild, if you will, from Alice Cooper. So probably made a lot of sense to transition from Alice into Rob Zombie, I would think. Right, Tommy? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember I wanted to play in Rob's band. Um, and then one gig I played with Alice Cooper Rob's bass player at the time, Blasco, who I now play with Ozzy, um, saw me play with Alice. I believe it was at the Greek Theater. And they just go, oh, we're going to need a drummer. I said, I'm your guy. And then, you know, there it was. It was, it was a, that was a great time. I think I was with Rob for five years. And it was a great band at that time. And I had a, I had a blast with it. Another, another great professional, another guy who knows how to put a show together. He's a master at that and a gentleman, and a nice guy, and um, if, if you notice, I've said that about everybody so far. It really is true. So he, he is, really knows how to put things together, and I really respect that about him. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I always love the theatricality of what he does, and, and again, he has the songs, and he always has a, a killer band, and, and I think the band he's He's had now for a while, you know, pairing up with John, with John Five. I mean, Rob has told me many times it just made 
it's it's given him you know he's been reinvigorated for music there was a while there where i thought and a lot of people thought rob was going to get out of music altogether and just do the film thing but he's absolutely pivoted back to i think doing music more aggressively than he ever has because he's become like a, a darling of the 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 festival circuit and puts out a record every couple of years. So he's gotten real active with music and he's told me that a lot of that is driven by the, the bands that he has, that he's excited to play with these people. So that's, a, that's a cool thing to hear. Yeah. I mean, music is great and I'm sure Rob would agree with me. It's, it's the best thing when it's, it's going smoothly. It's awesome. When you got good people around you and everybody's on the same wavelength and it's just happening what a great feeling that is. When it's not, it's the exact opposite thing. That's how I feel. When I'm not playing with guys and you don't click and they're not on the same wavelength as you and it's difficult and you want to turn your head and cringe, man, is that a horrible feeling. So I love music when, it's, when you're going where you're supposed to be. But it's, it's the exact opposite when it's not going good. I don't know if everybody feels that way. I'm sure Rob does too, so I'm glad he's having a blast now. And I've seen Rob a couple times on shows we've done together. He always has a great band. John Five is a great guitar player. Again, another professional, killer musician, and they're a great team. You played on uh, some of John's records. Did that come about because of Zombie, or John is also a Michigan guy? Did you know him before? No, we joined Rob's band right at the same time. So again, of course, there I was, a young kid, come play my records. Wow, okay, interesting. So, so we yeah, joined so the same tour. I think it was actually an Ozfest where Rob put together a new band after he was doing his movies. It was me, John Five, Blasco, and Rob was his next band after um, you know his first solo band. Right, right. So there was a time Rob Rob came on my shows a few times and and. I think semi-jokingly talked about the fact that uh, as much as he loves Ozzy, Ozzy was seemingly raiding his band members. <laughs> and it was, he was becoming, he felt like he was becoming the farm team for Ozzy's band, whether it was you or Blasco or, or others uh, that, that he had, he had, uh, that, that Rob felt he had wanted to take, but didn't uh, talk about that transition. Talk about uh, making that move away from zombie and, Becoming Ozzy's guy. Huh. Well, you know, musicians are musicians, and, and there's only so many guys out there. So, you know, really, there's a lot of people, there's, but there's not really a lot. You know, whenever you oh, I need a plumber. There's a million plumbers, but you want that guy who you know is going to do a good job, and I think that's why that happens a lot of the time. A lot of the same guys show up in the same in in certain bands because we're good at what we do. You know, I think that's how it is. And, you know, it's just like his band now. John was in Marilyn Manson and, and his drummer now was in Marilyn Manson. So it all goes around and it all works out in the end, you know? So after when I, when I got a call to go play with Ozzy, um, I mean, I just had to go do it. I, you know, we all have to do what's best for ourselves at that time. And, and there I was, I have to go play with Ozzy, and I was happy to do so. And that's been a great, I'd say, almost 10 years I've been with Ozzy in some incarnation, you know? 
Now, does that now does that happen, uh, Tommy? Like, uh, obviously, Rob and and you guys played on a lot of Ozfest, so like you said, everything is sort of connected. And as a guy like uh, like you, who's played with a lot of people, and and you mentioned there's a fabric to everything. Uh, I imagine that happens because you're on on Ozfest and around Oz, even though you're not in the band at that time. And the word gets out when they need a drummer. Hey, that could be the guy. Was that the the catalyst for it? That was not the exact catalyst. This was kind of a weird one. I had got called in. You know, it was the time when they were looking for a guitar player. Ozzy was looking for a new guitar player, um, and they got Gus G to be the new guitar player. I was brought in because they didn't have a drummer at the time to do the audition for Gus G. And I wasn't, that was, that was the first time Ozzy saw me play was at Gus G's audition. And I don't think they really were looking for a drummer, but to me, I was going to make them look for a drummer. So to me, it was my audition also at the time. And that's how I actually got the Ozzy gig was from Gus G's audition. Now, I don't know if they had seen me before. Maybe a little word had, had spread, and maybe that helped that other scenario. I don't know. Um, but everything is an audition. If there's any advice I can give to any young musicians, it's that every time you play, you got to be on. So you never know. If, even if it's some audition, you know, every time you go do it, it's going to lead you to the next thing if you got the goods. So make sure you have the goods. When you played that audition for Gus, do you remember what the songs were? It was, you know, the usual five or six that you would think, Bark at the Moon, I don't know, Paranoid, Mr. Crowley, and maybe War Pigs, or, you know, I'm not sure, but it had to have been something like that. So even though that's technically, at that time, that's an audition for Gus G and whoever else they were trying out on guitar... It it ended up indirectly without you realizing it, although, like you said, it was in the back of your mind. This could be an audition for me, too. Absolutely. Now, what was going on? They had to do a show. It was called BlizzCon, which is like actually this big video game thing out in California. And their drummer at the time couldn't do it. So out of that audition, they said, do you want to do this gig? And... I said, sure. So I did the gig and then, and then I did the gig and I think the gig came out of me actually playing a gig and they go, Oh, this works, you know, that kind of thing. So I did one gig and then they called me to go play with them. When you go into a situation like that, Tommy, you're going into play with, with a legend like Ozzy and a catalog like Ozzy is going to play and a catalog that the drumming on the on the songs you're doing has been all for the most part other people and all great players in their own right but a wide gamut of of people who have played on that stuff what is your approach to to doing other people's material when you go into it is it are you going to put do you want to go in to try to be as faithful to what's on the record do you take the direction of in this case ozzy or whoever's running the music and saying no we want you to cut loose a little bit like like what's the approach for a guy like you going into a situation like that from a playing perspective i i just let my ears tell me exactly what to do and my gut tell me and 
and that usually leads me in the right way. There's, you know, when you get to a certain level, Ozzy doesn't want to have to tell you what to play, and he's not going to. He just wants it right. So you got to do your homework to kind of know. I, I, to me, something comes up. I don't care if I was 12 and I'm doing a gig back in Detroit. I'm going to do anything and everything to play that music to its full potential. So I'm going to learn every little note. I'm going to, you know, this is before YouTube. I'm going to get go to the record store and get all, you know, when I auditioned for Nugent, I, I got every, I learned the whole set, not just the five songs. And I still that do that today because people, you know, if you know somebody's show and you can go in there and play it right now and not give them a reason to tell you no, what's probably the answer you're going to get? So that's my approach. I just do anything and everything and try to kick ass. So I, I, I always try to remain faithful to what the audience wants to hear. That being said, I know that my approach and my energy will, and my spirit will come through playing somebody else's parts. I'm still going to be me, even if I'm playing their, them the same parts. My energy and the way I attack the music is going to come through. So I don't have to change things. You know, I, I, I try to... You, a lot of the times when I join a band, I notice sometimes the music is far removed from maybe where it should be. And I try to bring it back a little bit, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, that and that's kind of like where I was going with that, because over years of touring, sometimes the person whose band it is, even they realize and lose track of the fact that from playing over and over so many years, so many decades, <laughs> things kind of become something different and they, the, the live arrangements or the different musicians take some turns with it. One of the most recent stories I can think of with that is Frank Ferrer, who plays drums in Guns N' Roses, who I know really well. And Frank, and, and when Slash and Duff came back, Slash and Duff both said to me that they, coming back into the band, realized that what Axel was doing with all the old guns material was it had actually gone off on a different path and it was very different than the way they were used to playing it. So a lot of the reunion with guns was, was Duff and slash working with Frank to, you know, Frank was only doing what, what was supposed to be done at that time, what he felt was right. And those guys saying, no, 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 you got to come back. And this is the way we used to do it. And this is what we want you to do. So you can have differing opinions on that. Can't you from within the same band? If, if things just kind of go off on, on a bit of a tangent. Yeah. I notice when, when people start talking and you got to do this, there's probably a problem. The music should just play itself. So especially for drummers, I think sometimes drummers get, or musicians, uh, the spirit and the feel and the heartbeat of the music is what you want to capture. So when you're talking about how do I approach a gig, I, I really dig into what is making this music special. What makes this music, why, why does this music have this style? Why does Rob Zombie sound like Rob Zombie? Why does Ted Nugent sound like Ted Nugent? I don't play the same way or approach the same way for all those bands. I want to be the best drummer Rob Zombie ever had. I want to be the best drummer Ted Nugent ever had. I want to make their musical visions come through better than, and not have to say it, you know, so they can just play 
and do what they do. That's what that's what front people and musicians want. They want the freedom that their drummer is there with them, behind them, leading the rest of the band any way that they're going to go. So it's kind of like a drummer is a conductor. And when you don't do that homework, you don't dive into it, and it's not just playing the parts. That's a that's a big misconception. It's 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 getting in there, knowing everything so well, and playing it over and over. So, so it's like you were the drummer 50 years ago when they were rehearsing it and just coming up with it, if that makes sense. It's a deeper thing that if you don't go deep, you're not getting the true heartbeat of what makes that music great. Mm. So that's my approach more than anything. And needless to say, Ozzy leads to Sabbath, and I saw you on the final Sabbath tour. I was at the show in Vegas. I thought you did a phenomenal job throughout that whole thing. Um, tell me, tell me what it was. Was it disappointing for you when you didn't get the call to play on the last record, to play on Thirteen, but ended up doing the tour? Talk a little bit about that. That's show business. That's all you can say. Not everything works out, but in the end, it works out. I'm glad I got to do the tours, and I think I made a good dent, and I was very proud of what I did on stage with those guys. And, you know, I can't think about what I didn't do. They made a great record. They had a number one record, and you can't argue with that either. So there you go. Do you prefer doing live or studio as a drummer? If I, if I had to choose one, I'd choose live every day, baby, because that's what it's all about. That being said, I love the studio, but if I had to pick, get me on that goddamn stage. <laughs> and is there a part of you like, I mean, I know, look, I know you're a professional. I pride myself on being a professional, and, and but at my core, I'm still a fan as well. So you know you always got to check those moments to to you know maintain a professional demeanor. But when you're up there, and I mean even to this day, I mean I know Tony, I bowl with Geezer, and I text with Tony, and that's still surreal as the fan to me that I know these guys like this. But when you're on the stage and you're sitting there on that drum riser and you're playing on the final Black Sabbath tour and you're looking out at the backs of Ozzy, Tony, and Geezer. Is there a moment where you're sitting there saying, holy shit, like I'm playing in Black Sabbath right now. I would imagine there's a, there's almost, no matter how pro you are, there's got to be a moment where you're pinching yourself, right? Yes, yes and no. Meaning, the, the, the best thing about playing with those guys, it's not that it was Black Sabbath, it's that, all three of those guys, they may have their differences, but when they go on stage, they are 110% into being a group together, more so than anybody I've ever played. It's a unit up there. That's what makes them so great. Tony may lead a certain part of the set somewhere or a song. Geezer may lead a part. And this guy may step back and that guy may step forward. And they're, they're backstage getting ready for the show. They're not worried about Instagram or meeting people. Everybody on that stage, myself included, was 110%. That's what made it so great. On top of that, playing amazing, legendary, iconic music with 
the guys who wrote it and created it was undeniably awesome. And it was a privilege and it made me a better musician playing with those three guys together. And that was an honor more so than it being black Sabbath, if that makes sense, because that's a special thing. That's a rarity. And that's what makes them black Sabbath. You can't have a career that all of these guys have had. It's no mistake for any of them why they're still successful and people want to hear their music. It's no mistake why Ozzy is still successful. It's because he's awesome. Tony is, is awesome. Geezer is awesome. You know? When you're going through that catalog and you're playing in Sabbath and you're, you're, you're getting into, you're digging into all the Bill Ward stuff that, that Bill did and, and his, you know, the brilliance that he recorded it with, with those records, same deal. Are you, are you taking, uh, are you getting input from, from geezer and and tony on this is how we want to do it or just listen to the record or do your own thing like what what are you hearing from those guys when you're trying to prepare it's you you here's another thing english people are much different than americans americans are much do this do that these they say absolutely nothing absolutely really nothing you're expected to do your homework and I did do my homework. I, I try to all, I do always do my homework. That's the only reason I'm able to claw and try to survive in this business. Um, but there's, they said, you know, they gave me a list of like, here's 50 songs, 50 Black Sabbath songs, which you probably only play 16, 17 of them. But basically, which was every track they ever did with Ozzy. So I, I learned them all. And then when you show up and you know everything, and it's just a, a process of chipping away at the stone and going over, because the difference in the Black Sabbath stuff is those drum parts Bill Ward came up with was very unorthodox from any other style. So I had to dig, on top of digging into the music, I had to dig into his playing and what made him him, because all four of those guys had their unique counterpoint to make a whole of that music so i really had to do justice to that or attempt to do justice the best that i could to to make people when we went out on tour hear what they wanted to hear that was my goal do you what what are you being told tommy as far as ozzy we all know he's got some health concerns and nothing's more important (laughs) than being healthy but what are you being told as far as uh anything in the future do you do you think are you optimistic that that he'll be able to tour again i know ozzy's making a new record now and i know he said he's going to go back out and play and if they say he's going to go back out and play then that's what he's going to do are you you're not part of the new record no i am not i'm not i didn't plan the last record and i'm not playing on this one I believe his producer, uh, they got all that covered. Yeah, Andrew is working with him again. I know. Correct. And do you Correct. do you yeah. think do you think that do you think that we've seen the end of Sabbath? Do you think that they'll never play again? I'm the last guy to know anything. And that no, goes but just as a, f- I I just, don't I don't I mean they said it was the end. Is it the question? It's the best question. Is it the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end, right? <laughs> no, nobody knows. I don't know if there's ever been a band 
that has done a farewell and ended. I tell people all the time, Ozzy's, Ozzy's first farewell tour was in 92, No More Tours tour. So I don't know if there's ever been a band that ended and stayed ended. We know Motley Crue just burned their contract and all of that. So that's why I say that. You know, I talked to Tony a couple weeks ago, and he's getting ready to, they're putting out a reissue of Volume 4, and they're putting out reissues of the Dio stuff, and he seems like he's getting an itch a little bit. So I don't think... I don't think with any of these guys, you can never say never because I all think it's so in their blood that there's no, if they How can find a way to get back it, out Eddie? there, you never How know. How do you stop it? How do you <laughs> stop it? You don't. You can't. You literally can't stop if you're able to do so. You know, everybody needs a break and everybody needs time for perspective to go home to their families and do this, but I'm never going to stop. I'll tell you that. I can't stop. It's what I do. Without it, you're just piddling around you know so nobody can stop especially when you can still do it with greatness you know yeah i had the opportunity well, to I, go on I, the go ahead, go ahead. i'm sorry no no i was just gonna say i had the opportunity to go on the road with deep purple a few years ago in a tour of mexico and i think they did it the smartest way they called their tour and they're still calling it the long goodbye and I, I said, well, you're not really saying it's a farewell tour. And they all said the same thing. They go, well, we're just telling people we're kind of thinking about ending, but it's a long goodbye. I don't know how long the goodbye is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess yeah, that's the I way mean, to do it. it it's, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, I mean, I bet those guys back when they started 50 years ago, there's no way they could fathom that they would still be doing it now because bands didn't. They didn't do it that long back then. It, you know, jazz musicians did. Jazz musicians did it until they died. Blues guys did. But rock and all that kind of stuff, it didn't, it didn't carry on in the same way. Now it does. So it's kind of like you either do it or you don't. You just kind of, it just kind of ends. You know, God ends it in a way. You know, Little Richard went to the end. Jerry Lee Lewis still does it. I mean, it's insane, you yeah. know country guys they go till they're dead till they drop and what a better way to end it yeah well listen man when things get back to normal and travel starts assuming you're not on the road i come to la every month and i do shows from there and i do shows from the rainbow so now that we're in touch uh i and we have so many mutual friends it's not even funny we'll all we'll we'll uh we'll pull something together and we'll try to you know get you out with us one of these nights or have you come down and sit in with us one of these nights at the uh at the broadcast there whenever i can get back out that way it sounds wonderful i'm there just give me a shout anytime it's great to talk to you, man. I'm glad we were, we had a chance to do this. I appreciate you making the time, and I, I can't wait to hear you play with the Dead Daisies because I love your playing, and I love that new record, and I think it's just going to be a powerhouse band, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see everybody out there on the road uh, soon enough. So thanks for the time. I appreciate it, Tommy. My pleasure. Thank you for the kind words. Look forward to getting back out there. All my best to you and the listeners out there. Thanks to Tommy. It was great visiting with him and getting to know him. Love his playing. And coming up, another guy who is also a great drummer and has a tremendous history. After this, we'll talk to Simon Wright on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. This is Denny Somak, host of The Rock Podcast. I'm a producer, author, and rock historian, and I want to share with you some of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Well, Bonzo was the best hard rock drummer. 
ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. And I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. John Lennon had this wise guy look on his face, just like me and my friends were just a bunch of wise guys, street kids. The first guitar I ever had was a um, Spanish guitar, and I couldn't really get the hang of it. I was only 13. I had never written a song before, actually, and uh, so Jim says, okay, everybody go home and write some songs, you know. And so I went, went home and wrote Light My Fire. Join me. For The Rock Podcast, the only podcast that matters. From Podcast One or wherever you get yours. We're back. It's Eddie Trunk, Simon Wright, my old friend, joining us to talk about some Dio reissues and also give us some backstory on some of his time with ACDC and UFO, to name a few. Enjoy. Here's Simon Wright, interview number two on this week's podcast. Hey, Simon, how are you, buddy? Hey, Eddie. How's it going, man? It's going good. How have you been navigating this madness of the last year? You hanging in there? Uh, yeah. I uh, Nothing for a long time. Then uh, This last couple of months, I did a couple albums, um, recording and stuff. My friend Stuart Smith, he has a band called Heaven and Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that, my friend Kevin Gucci called me up. He has a band called of gods and monsters. And, um, it's a, you know, so it's just been great, you know, to get that to actually get back in the studio and playing again. Have you it. been able, Simon, have you been able to actually go to a studio and record or you have to do it in, in a home studio or in some way and send it in? It would, no, it was a, a uh, Win Davis, where we uh, recorded some of the deal albums and stuff. He uh, he worked out a deal. I would go in, we set the kit up, and uh, do it down there. And it's great working with Win again, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. A lot of history there. I'm sure you guys uh, you guys certainly have, and of course with Ronnie as well. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good that you got to you got to play a little bit. Are you able to where you live? Do you have a kit? Are you able to play? and keep your chops up and just go in somewhere and play on a, on a live kit a few times a week, if you want to. No, I, I haven't. I, I uh, many, many years ago, I had a room set up with a kit in it, but all I did was piss the neighbors off. So <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just gave up on the whole idea, you know, unless I've got some kind of uh soundproof room I can figure out, but uh, I just haven't got around to it yet. So, yeah, I mean, I, um, it's like when I'm learning these albums and stuff, I just tap away on my knees, you know, and bang away and figure out what I'm going to do, you know, which has gotten easier over the years because I've done, um, I've done a lot of records. So I kind of, you know, kind of know where I'm going with, with, with new songs, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well, I'll tell you, I miss seeing you and, and all of the uh, Dio family because Obviously, last year we we lost both Dio Cancer Fund events, the ride and the bowling, because of the pandemic. Hopefully, we can get those back this year. Not only just because uh, I miss seeing everybody, and it's a great get together for everybody, but obviously it's important to help raise some money for that the fund. So, fingers crossed, as we roll out vaccines and such, we can hopefully get back to some of our normal yearly events. Yeah, absolutely. I miss those events as well, and. Uh... You know, I'm seeing you, Ed. It's it's always it's always cool. Um, yeah, hopefully, I'm pretty sure Wendy's keeping an eye on things for when things open up. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But you you think about stuff like that that we miss we miss those things from being friends and all getting together. But 
obviously there's another end to it too. Those are very lucrative things for a very good cause, meaning the, the DO Cancer Fund, and, and obviously we want to keep raising money for that. So go to docancerfund.org, folks, and you can help in the interim until we get the, the events, the two big events back. Hopefully, maybe this year, we'll see what happens, fingers crossed. I think that's the thing that everybody's going into, just trying to figure out and taking it day by day. And have you heard anything, Simon, about being able to go out on the road or anything? Are there any gigs lined up, anything that you have cooking that, that you've heard about? No, I, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Uh, there's nothing from from our end, so to speak. I mean, I do see things online, you know, like um, I think there's stuff in Europe that's going on, some festivals, uh, I think, around June. But, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to they're, they're gonna do that. I mean, nothing... It hasn't completely opened up in Europe either, so I don't know. The only thing I can think is, you know, the the comfortable place to be, I would imagine, is if like 90% of the country's been vaccinated and then you've got a, a chance of opening things up. You know, and even then, if you go to a show, you're going to have to, I imagine, show some kind of card that you've been vaccinated. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not sure either. And I think the stuff that is announced for for like June and that that time zone, I think that's probably wishful and hopeful thinking because just earlier today, I, I, I mentioned that Hellfest in France just announced they're canceling into 2022. So there's a European festival that had the intent of doing it this year and now just called it for 2021. So it sucks. I mean, it sucks for the crews. It sucks for the musicians. It sucks for yeah. the fans across the board. We, we've been dealing with it for over a year now, but I don't know how you are, but I'm pretty optimistic that the worst is behind us. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it must be. We've got to move forward with this thing at some point. <laughs> you know, we can't, you know, some of these lockdowns that keep getting put upon us, you know, it's, um, it, it's, I don't know, it's all just pretty crazy. I hope it opens up soon, like you, you know. Yeah, I think for some of it, I mean, it's some of it's worse than the risk of the virus in some cases when you see what it's doing to some people. So there's going to have to be some compromise, I would think, at some point, and we'll keep an eye on it and hope for the best. So more deal reissues this time around evil or divine live in new york city and holy diver live what can you tell us about this project simon is this the are these these are revamps of the records that had came out come out previously with extra stuff on them yeah they've been remixed um i think uh evil or divine came out in 2005 and holy diver Live came out in 2008 i believe but uh, yeah, they've been remixed, repackaged. Really cool artwork. Um, there's a drum solo which has been added, which I'm happy about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on Evil or Divine, um, it was omitted from the first release because it it made the the uh, the whole track listing too long. And uh, Ronnie talked to me about that and. You know, we could either have the drum solo in or or another song. So I said, well, you should probably put another song in. <laughs> so, because uh, that's, you know, sometimes drum solos are uh, a big yawn. That one's not bad, though. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I remember that both shows, um, it's like when you when you play in these capital cities and you know, your friends are there and stuff and everything, um, 
it can be a bit of a trial, you know, because they all want to say hi and talk to you and shoot the shit and it can be a little distracting, you know, so you have to kind of, you know, I got to go get ready now, you know, get collect your thoughts because you know it's going to be a live DVD. There are cameras everywhere. It's like you better play it right. Um, so I remember that, but I also remember that the band was, on both occasions, we were, we were really tight. I mean, we were we were on fire, you know. Was, we were really comfortable with things. We were, like, throwing things in, and, you know, and Ronnie was singing his ass off. So, yeah, very enjoyable. It's uh, it's, it's good to hear these again, you know. One of the cool things about the track listings on both of them also is the fact that although, obviously, stuff like Rainbow in the Dark and We Rock and what have you has to be on both records because those were staples in the set, there is some differences in the, in the set list, too, between the two shows. There's some stuff that was changed out, which is always cool to see. Yeah, I mean, with Holy Dive, a lot, you know, with Holy Dive Alive, we're doing the whole album, which was, you know, we usually we would play Stand Up and Shout and Holy Diver in the set. But, you know, having to get stuck into songs like Gypsy and uh, Caught in the Middle and Invisible was just great. You know, those songs are amazing, you know. Um, and I think that album, it it works because those, you know, all those songs together, they kind of, they they should be together. You know, it was a, a moment in time and a certain energy with Holy Diver when it first came out. So it was awesome to do that again. And then... Um, you know, mixing it up with like, you know, putting Doug's guitar solo in the middle of Shame on the Night. That was pretty cool. That worked out. Um, you know, and playing on Evil of Divine, we got to play a, a couple of tracks off of Magica, which was always cool. Lord of the Last Day, Fever Dreams. Um, yeah, I think they're great packages. They really are. Uh, and the lineup on these shows now, the one in was, was uh Holy Diver live done in New York or was that in England? Oh, that was in London. Yeah. That was at the Astoria. The oh, one in New thing. York, evil or divine. I was there and I'm, I'm 99% sure I intro the band. And I believe that was at radio city or not radio city at uh, Roseland. Wasn't it? That you are correct, sir. Yep. Yeah, you did. They should have had your introduction on the beginning. Of it. <laughs> well, you <laughs> you been- know you know how much I would have charged for that, Simon. I mean, I'm I'm tough to negotiate Uh-oh. with on things like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all they would have had to do is ask, and I would have said, "Yeah, of course." But yeah, I do remember being there for that show, and and Roseland isn't there anymore. It's it was a great venue back in the day, but I do very much oh. remember, and I'm I'm pretty sure you guys probably would have come into my studio the day before or, or after. But those are great memories. Roseland's not there anymore. No, it's wow. uh, it's a giant apartment complex or something. They literally knocked the building down, and from the foundation up, built a huge apartment Man. condo complex or something where you can live in a one bedroom apartment for about six grand a month rent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> one of those deals. So yeah, yeah it's not yeah. there. It was a great old venue, though. I saw some great shows there, including that that Dio show. Yeah, it, 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 so many bands went through there, didn't they? They should have made it a national monument or something. 
Yeah, for sure. I saw a band you were in at one point, ACDC, play there, actually, when they did a reissue of their catalog. They did a an underplay there. It was an amazing show. They Just when their catalog got taken over by Sony and they did a, a special show there, it was incredible. They went played stuff throughout their whole catalog, and it was just the perfect size room. Not too huge, not too small. So three, 4,000, all the sight lines were good. The sound was good. It wasn't It wasn't too small, but it also wasn't overwhelming where you couldn't really get into it. Wow, I didn't know that. that. That's cool. Yeah, I know what you mean about that building. It's just like kind of a, a sweaty club, but uh, a little bigger, I guess. But uh, wow, yeah, okay, cool. So the band on these recordings, this is Doug on guitar, right, on both records, Doug Aldridge? Yeah. And then you on drums, and then what's the rest of the lineup on these? Scott Warren on keys and Rudy Sars on bass. So same lineup on both records. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, Eddie. Uh, no, on Evil of Divine, I believe that was, was Jimmy. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Jimmy on Evil of Divine. And uh, Rudy came in. Um, he joined up with that tour, Holy Diver Live. We had to wait for him for a little while. Um, we invited him to do the Master of the Moon album, but he couldn't get away. He was playing bass with Ingve, uh, so Jeff Pilson came up and did a great job. But then Rudy, uh, we finally got him, and we started the tour with Holy Diver Live. What a shame! Then, when you think about it, because both Ronnie and Jimmy are gone from that recording now, it's just hard to believe. Even though it's it's been and it's been a number of years for both of them, it's just really tragic. But great to have that document of the two of them together again. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss them both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let me ask you. Uh, so these are these are uh, great collections that are. Uh, are out uh, special editions of these records. So check those out. Are they out now or are they coming out soon? Do you have the actual release date? Oh, God. You know what? I'm not sure if they're out now or there's a release date. Um, yeah, I got a press release here, but I have, I'm having trouble with my computer. I couldn't download the file, but just check. Everybody can check and see if they're not out yet. You can pre-order them again. It's evil or divine live in New York city. And Holy Diver Live, uh, special expanded, remixed, remastered editions of those great Dio Live records. Simon Wright featured on both of them on drums. Simon, why I got you, I wanted to ask you a couple other things. You know, uh, speaking about people passing away, uh, some know, maybe some don't, that you were a member of UFO, one of my all-time favorite bands. And I knew you were going. I knew you were going to ask me about UFO. <laughs> well, how could I not? <laughs> but but on a sad note, we lost Pete Way not too recently, uh, uh, somewhat recently rather. And, uh, you know, I had so many people on this show when Pete died. I did a tribute to him and we talked about him and everybody from Joe Elliott to Nikki Six to Mike McCready from Pearl Jam all called in. It's amazing how many people loved Pete, myself included. Can you share anything about your time in the band and any everybody's got a Pete story? You got any Pete stories? Oh, my God, there's so many. Uh <laughs> Well, it's it's difficult to pin pin him down. I mean, it, 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 there was always something going on with him. You know, it was like every other day there was something going on with him. <laughs> you know, it was such a character. You know, and amazing, amazing stuff. I remember one time I think we pulled in. 
I can't remember which city. I want to say it was somewhere in Texas. But anyway, he he found this golf club at one of the gigs and he, you know, he sort of commandeered it, took it on the bus and, um, you know, we'd stopped off at a truck stop and he'd got some golf balls. So we're, we're all kind of looking at each other going, oh no, this isn't, this isn't going to end well. So we pull up to this, the front of this hotel. Um, I think it was in Texas and he's at the bus door with the golf club and a golf ball. And he just whacks this ball out of the door of the bus. It hits the front window. All this glass shatters. <laughs> you know, he runs to the back of the bus. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was constantly doing crazy stuff, you know. But in a way, he's a very quiet man as well, I've got to admit. You know, he was very kind of fragile and quiet at the same time. Um and um, you know he, he he did have his demons, obviously, um, but that never reared its ugly head when I was in the band. We we were playing pretty good together, which was good. Um, you know, he did say to me at one point, he said, "You know, Simon, you're such a brilliant drummer. I don't even have to, have to play bass." <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at him and went, "You silly boy." <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's the thing about Pete is even when he got into mischief, there was this lovable side to him, it seemed, that yeah. everybody really gravitated to, that you couldn't, no matter what he was doing or what he was getting into, you couldn't help but to to not love the guy and put a, put a smile on your face because of the way he was. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. He was he was very, very likable, very lovable. I mean, he was, um, you know, such a, a sweet person. You know, he wouldn't hurt a fly, you know, his... Uh, you know, I had some great times with him. And it was an honor playing with him and Paul and Michael and Phil Mogg. I mean, I was a kid when I was listening to Strangers in the Night. And then the next minute, here I am, I'm in Chicago and I'm playing it. I mean, it's it's just outrageous, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and, and you mentioned Paul Raymond. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him, too, because we lost him, obviously, yeah. a little little longer ago, but still, I mean, I think very much an unsung hero in UFO, a guy that really held down that rhythm guitar and perfect, perfect amount of keyboards that didn't overpower the music. I think that, you know, that Paul was a huge loss as well. And it's, it's just, it's just sad. Yeah. I know time stops for nobody, but it's sad to see all these, uh, all these rock heroes of ours, uh, you know, going by the wayside. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. And, and UFO between Paul Raymond, Paul Chapman and Pete Way the last 18 months or so have been really rough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, 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 unfortunately I didn't ever get to say hello to, um, to Paul Chapman, but I, I hung with Paul Raymond uh, quite a bit on the tour. You know, we'd be testing out various wine cellars and, you know, <laughs> um, it was such a shock when, when I, when I saw that he passed, I mean, they, they, they were they were just on tour, and then a couple of days later, they had a break, and he'd had, I think it was a heart attack, and uh, I, was, I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. You know, it seemed like they were, you know, back up and rocking again, and uh, yeah, it's sadly missed. I talked to his 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 ex wife quite a bit, and we reminisce about him, and yeah, yeah, it, it was just it was. 
Definitely a surprise about Paul Raymond. Unfortunately, not a surprise about Pete, given his lifestyle. But uh, needless to say, huge losses for for both of them. And I also wanted to ask you, Simon, uh, are you, you know, obviously a lot of people really excited now because ACDC has been reconstituted and there's the new record out. And if times were normal, they would hopefully be able to go on tour. Of course, you spent some years with the band and did a couple studio records in there as well. Are you in touch with anybody from ACDC still? No, no, no. I haven't been in touch for for, for years. Um, I did text Cliff Williams um, uh, four or five months ago. Uh, I I don't know why. I just congratulated him on his retirement and wished him well. And he he texted me back and said, "Thank you, but thanks. It's good to hear from you. I hope you well." But no, I don't really keep in touch with them. They've they've got their lives, and I've had my life for quite some time now. So, you know. But I mean, if we if we ran into them, I'm sure we'd say hello. You know, I mean, obviously, it's a long time ago that you made the records and you were part of the band in the mid '80s. But I think, I think to fans, they would find fans, and I know it's not uncommon, but I think most fans would find that odd that somebody would be in a band as big as ACDC and do tours and play on a couple records and then not really have any continual contact. I know that happens in all walks of life, but I think to fans, since we live so much in the moment and with those records that we would look at that and think that that would be kind of odd. Like how could you have had this experience with this incredibly massive band and, and be one of the few people in the world that could say they were in ACDC and not have at least some continued dialogue, but people just go their own ways when things end, I guess. Right. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's nothing more to it than that. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's people that I've played with, you know, that I've haven't kept in touch with and you know, it's not a problem. It's just the way you just move on. It's not, a, you know, they've got their lives and I'm, I've got mine and I'm, you know, busy trying to figure stuff out and keep moving forward and all the usual stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, it, I don't think it's unusual. When, when Phil Rudd was not in the band and they brought back Chris Slade, was, was there any to- any talk of them calling you? Did your phone ring at all or was there no discussion about that? No, the phone didn't ring at all. No, I get asked that quite a lot. No, it it, it didn't ring. I I wasn't looking for it. I, you know, I don't know. It, it just was wasn't something that I wasn't expecting a call. Put it that way, and I didn't pursue it. I must admit, I did hear some things about what was going on, um, but uh, to put my to have put my foot in it wouldn't have been cool, you know. So that's it that's the way it goes they didn't call that's no problem for me i got lots of stuff to do and and when you last thing on this when you look back at the at fly on the wall and and blow up your video and that period of time for you and and those experiences making the records and doing the tours and sitting behind that drum kit and powering acdc i imagine amazing memories any any great stories or anything you can share from your time were there personal highlights do you remember the first show the last show anything you can tell us about that you want to talk about a bit more about ufo ed <laughs> is this a is this a sore spot for you? I apologize if it is. I didn't know if there was if there was beef there or anything. 
no, no, no. We were. It was a working band. It was just a working band. I mean, you know, you know, they were doing long, hard shows. Um, obviously, very enjoyable and and not very, you know. And and it was possible back then, being being that young, um, you know. I don't know. No, it's, there were some fantastic shows. I mean, come on. I mean, it's like Rock in Rio. There's like three hundred thousand there. I mean. You know, and lots and lots of other big, big shows. Um, you know, and it was very comfortable. You were looked after. Um, it was, it was an amazing time. I will never, I will always thank them for the time that they gave me in that, in, and let me play. You know that that stuff. So, yeah, it's it was an amazing time, no doubt. And I have the total respect in the world for them. Yeah, I mean, there's only very, there's only a handful of people that can ever say they, only very few that can ever say they powered ACDC and played those drums. So it's a pretty incredible oh. distinction. And I don't know if you, I, I just bring it up because I don't feel like you get enough credit for your contributions to the band at that time. I thought you did an amazing job. Not an easy gig to step into. You were there for a lot longer than I think people realize. You know, making records, and I just thought that you were just a a perfect fit going into that band, and 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 should be acknowledged for it. No, thanks, Ed. I really appreciate it. it. It's it's just of late I've been doing um a few few of these the podcasts and stuff and um and messages and stuff about my time. You know, there's so, there's so many people think that like fly on the wall and blog your video are some you know their favorite albums. Um, it, it and it's true. These are you know these are messages I'm getting and people telling me and stuff and. You know, I mean, the, the the thing is, I think ACDC's catalog—they've been around for 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 a long, long time—and I think people now, when those first albums get, when those albums came out, I think they were a little bit pushed to one side. You know, we were still touring pretty extensively to big sold-out places and stuff, but uh, you know, they, they the the albums were a little bit different. You know, they weren't. Um, I guess there wasn't a shoot to thrill on there or back in black, but it's hard to keep that momentum up with songwriting, I think. Um, you know, and uh plus I didn't have anything to do with the songwriting. But um no, it they they stand up really well in the A C D C catalogue, I think, you know. You listen back again. I I listened to a bit of Fly on the Wall the other the other week and uh, it sounds pretty damn good. You know, sometimes you, you just walk away from recordings because you've heard them to death you know you played them you know so you walk away but if you come back a couple of you know years later and listen you go well that's not too bad actually you know but uh anyway they're out there i did them i'm glad some people like them yeah, no, and I think that's exactly why I bring it up, because I think as time goes on, and you see this with a lot of artists, even even when you talk about uh, an, an artist like Dio, there are those records that, that came uh, later in the career, that, and some even featured, you mentioned Magica on the new collection, some songs from that, maybe at the time they weren't as embraced as they should be for whatever reason, as exposed as they should be, they kind of get a yeah. little bit swept under the carpet, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, these things are 30, 35 years old, 20 years old, and they have a whole new life. People look at them in a whole different lens. And you're right. When you were doing ACDC and those records, I mean, it's only a few years removed from For Those About to Rock and Back in Black coming out. So I'm sure a lot of what was driving the touring was still 
the enormous success of those records to the point where fly on the wall, maybe blow up your video actually lost in the shuffle. It's 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 crazy to say ACDC records may be a little overlooked, but everybody had that period in their career. Yeah, there are a lot of other ACDC albums, I think, that were, were kind of overlooked that I didn't play on. Um, you know, and it's the same, like you say, with, De- with Ronnie's song, uh, albums. You know, some come out and it may be the climate, the musical climate, the genres are changing, there's a new genre that's taken over and things get a little bit lost in the shuffle. You know, it's um, but it's good to go back and just, you know, check them out and listen to them again and... Uh, you hear different things in the songs and stuff and all. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's good. Uh, I'll never forget one of the records that for me uh, had a whole new life was the Sabbath album Dehumanizer. Because when, oh, yeah. when, when Ronnie came back to Sabbath for the third time in 06, I remember talking to him and he said, well, yeah, he goes, one of the records... I'll never forget it. We're doing an interview. He goes, one of the records I'm really looking forward to including some stuff in the set from was Dehumanizer. And as big of a Sabbath Dio fan as I am, I kind of overlooked that record at the time. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, Simon, I was saying, Dehumanizer, this guy crazy. You know, people want to hear heaven and hell. What are they, what's he talking about? And then when I went to the first show and they played I and after all, and all this stuff, I was like, Damn, that actually was really good. That tour and revisiting that record gave me a whole new appreciation for that album. So it happens with just about every artist that there's that period of time and then years do an amazing thing where you can have a whole new appreciation for a, a recording. Yeah, it, it's true. It, it happens. I mean, I don't know why, um, but, you know, I mean, you go back and you listen and then, and it's got a whole new meaning and a whole new life. It, it's amazing. And that dehumanizer album, Jesus, what an album. That is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think because of the, the what was happening in music at the time, mid nineties, uh, that stuff was a lot of artists made great records during that period of time. That was, that were very, very overlooked. So I think that that's a, that's always an interesting thing. And I feel that way about the albums you made with ACDC, which is why I bring it up. Yeah, well, it's 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 a good point, that's for sure. Um, but like I say, I get so many people asking me about them and comments, and you know, people, and 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 they're not just they're they're mentioning songs too. You know, their favorite song. I mean, they're not just saying saying it for saying its sake. You know, it's um, it, it's pretty cool. You know, did you re- did you enjoy recording those records and making those records in the studio? Yeah, it was cool. We we did fly on the wall. It was um in Montreux near you know, Lake Geneva, um, where Deep Purple did recorded Smoke on the Water. Right. Uh, you know, and it was a bit tiresome looking out over this beautiful lake every day, <laughs> you know. It was like <laughs> you know, it was hard work. No, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I had to learn how to play a little bit too. You know, it was like how they worked and what they did in the studio. Not old, you know, you know, not overplay obviously and stuff, and which I knew already. You know, I mean, it's that's doesn't work with their kind of music. So, oh no, it, it was it was. I was, you know, in awe of the whole thing. I mean, I was trying to act cool, but I don't think I did a very good job of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
And then, you know, like blow up your video, we went to France, um, beautiful studio called Miraval. Um, it's like a winery. Um, and George and Harry Vander, um, George Young and Harry Vander were, were, were there producing as well. So, and, and I enjoyed that too, because they had a great work ethic um, and kept the day moving along and great ideas for songs and stuff and a couple of little uh, different uh, things in some songs, which was cool. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really did. I must admit the touring. I'm not, you know, they did some. We did some long tours, and, it, and t- uh, being so young, I was away from home. That old story, you know. But it did creep in a little bit. But uh, I got, I got over it, you know. Yeah, and there's great stuff on Blow Up Your Video. Heat Seeker's a big song. That's the way I want to rock and roll. I mean, there's some songs on there that, again, maybe people overlook a little bit, but when you go back and revisit it, I think it's some some pretty cool ACDC stuff. And, again, you were a part of it. I think you definitely deserve more acknowledgement for it sometimes, so that's why I bring it up. Oh, thanks, Ed. I think you're right. Well, listen, my friend, it's always great to visit with you and spend some time. I hope I get a chance to see you in, in L.A. and we get to get the whole Dio family back together and and have some fun and, and raise some money for the Dio Cancer Fund and see everybody's face again and get to bowl or hang out at, in Encino at the park or whatever it is that we're doing. And again, everybody check out uh, the reissues of Evil or Divine or Holy Diver Live from Dio uh, Doug Aldridge blazing on guitar on both of them, and you got these new special deluxe editions. One one last quick thing on the reissues. I just mentioned. I just wanted to mention. Um, you mentioned there was a video component on them, which I do remember when they initially came out. What's coming out again? Is it audio only, or is it also going to be video as well? I haven't heard anything about video. Not. I haven't heard anything about DVD. I could be wrong. But as the, the as far as I know, I only know these two releases. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Because yeah. there was video, if I'm not mistaken, of both of them. Yeah. I have the DVD somewhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. There. There is definitely. Yeah. That. That. You know, the DVD had the drum solo on it too. You know. But then. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think they're coming out as DVD. I could be wrong though. Right. Right. All right, Simon. Well, listen, stay well, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon when I get to come back out west. Nice one. Thanks, Dad. It's great talking with you. Hope to see you soon, too. Same here. Take care, okay? Well, thanks to Simon. Check out those DO reissues. They are out now. And thanks earlier to Tommy Klufedos, a double drummer episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Remember, check me out live every day. On Sirius XM Channel 106, volume 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Talk and Rock with you. Nightly re-airs of that show, 10 to midnight Eastern, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. Thanks to Katie Irizarry for producing the podcast. And uh, be sure to follow me on social media, especially Twitter and Instagram, where I'm most active, at Eddie Trunk. You guys have yourselves a great week. Hopefully you catch me on the radio. If not, catch me next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.